Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. You can tell that the old voice is not as effective as it normally is. It's that time of the year when you get these colds, and I don't know what to do with them except just work through it. So that's what we're going to do. Hope that uh, we won't be too hard on your listening today. Uh, But we're thrilled because we have all of our broadcast partners standing by. They're going to be looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. We're going just in a moment to France, and we're going to be talking with Ken Timmerman. And then we've got our other broadcast partners, Winky Medad. He's in Israel, and he's getting ready, actually, uh, to go into the Ukraine. But we're going to catch him just before he leaves. We're going to be talking about can Prime Minister Netanyahu pull off the task of forming an Israeli government. That's all ahead, plus our other broadcast partners right here on Prophecy Today. Ken, let me get underway with you, and I'll try to ask a quick question. You talk as long as you want to. Your voice is much better than mine today. But there was a rocket attack this last week on the seemingly U.S. embassy there in Baghdad. Now, it did not hit the embassy, came pretty close, but it sure had the signature of Iran. Was this ratcheting up any of the tension? Well, it was indeed, and and this is part of a larger Iranian plan to test President Trump. They want to see how far they can push the United States before the U.S. will respond to them militarily. So you've had a number of attacks over the past week, not only this attack into the U.S. Embassy compound in the Green Zone in Baghdad, which is a pretty large area, but this particular rocket apparently hit a guard shack that was uh, currently empty near the embassy. But they've also uh, attacked Saudi oil, an oil pumping station, uh, bombing it with drones, and they've attacked a a couple of ships in Fujairah, which is a port in the United Arab Emirates in the Persian Gulf. So they've they've carried out a number of military strikes, none of them uh, so far lethal. Nobody's been killed in these attacks this past week. But again, these are probes. They're probing the United States to see how we're going to respond. And I got to say that uh, when President Trump tweeted after the rocket attack, he said if, if the Iranians insist on doing this kind of thing, it will be the official end of Iran. He really did take them by surprise. They weren't expecting a strong statement like that from the president. And w- what we've seen over the past couple of days now, Jimmy, is, is a, a very odd repeat of what happened during the Obama administration when you had a media echo chamber orchestrated by the Obama White House, those same people who orchestrated the pro-Iran media echo chamber for President Obama today are outside of government, obviously, and they are feeding the same stories to the media that President Trump is seeking a war with Iran. And this, by the way, happens to be exactly what the Iranians are are putting out in their own propaganda channels. So this is a probe. Uh, It's an attempt to see how far they can push the United States. They are hoping to trick us, actually, into a preemptive strike against Iran, at which point they will unleash whatever weapons they have uh, that they haven't told us about. Yeah, and uh, they'll use their proxies as well. 
Well, the Iranian commander responding to the president, he said, we're ready to confront the enemy. We'll do it if we have to. They say they don't want war, but uh, looks like to me they're prone to make that happen. Well, that's right. And, and again, these probes were very specific, and they showed that the Iranians can operate in different areas around not just the Persian Gulf, but around the region. Uh, you mentioned proxies just a second ago. The Saudis were trying to get President Trump to uh, strike back at Iran, but not directly at one of their proxies in Yemen. Okay, so the president said, no, I'll give you extra warplanes, we'll give you intelligence, but uh, we are not going to get lured into a war. I happen to think that's a very smart move. Uh, I also happen to believe that should the Iranians push too far, in other words, should, and I think the line is pretty clear, should the Iranians directly attack uh, American assets, whether it's our warships or our embassy or our military facilities in the region, then... I'm convinced that the president will respond militarily, and he will hit them very hard indeed. Ken, a very interesting poll just out saying that half of Americans believe there will be war with Iran probably will happen within the next few years. Would you agree with that? And uh, is it going to be a full-fledged all-out war if it does happen? Well, I'm a bit more on the fence. I'm not convinced that the Iranians are prepared at this point for a war with the United States. I think they've been caught a little bit flat-footed by President Trump. Their economy is in tatters because of the sanctions. And their response to the deployment of the Abraham Lincoln carrier strike force to the Persian Gulf region was, to me, it, it, it showed a weakness on their, on their part. They were uh, afraid of a carrier group coming into the Persian Gulf. By the way, the carrier did not actually enter the Persian Gulf. It's in the northern Arabian Sea, just outside the Strait of Hormuz. But we've had carriers in the Gulf forever. Uh, and we normally have had one there constantly. It's only been really in the past couple of years that we've not had a aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf because of the defense drawdowns under President Obama. So I think the Iranians are not as prepared as they want people to think for a full-out military confrontation, and I'm convinced that President Trump is not seeking war as well. And meanwhile, though, the Iranians are saying they're moving closer and closer to restarting their nuclear program. They're watching what European Union is going to do, and of course a focus on the United States as well. Could they put this thing in play and get a nuclear weapon pretty quickly? Uh, yes, and, and this again, this is part of their strategy, to, to see how far they can push things. How far can they tickle the tail of the tiger, if you wish, before he responds forcefully. I think they have a second goal with this statement regarding their nuclear weapons program, and that is to drive a wedge between the Europeans, who are really very eager to see Iran stay in the Iran nuclear deal that the U.S. pulled out of, and the United States. Uh, so they, they would like the Europeans to start lobbying Washington to rejoin the failed nuclear deal. Uh, by the way, failed nuclear deal is what President Trump called it during the 2016 presidential campaign. So, so really, we should have no doubt as to where he stands on this. Now, Technically speaking, the Iranians, they have a virtual nuclear weapons program. They have all of the equipment that they need to enrich uranium and to do so quickly in advanced centrifuges that they were allowed to build and test under the uh, Iran nuclear deal. I don't 
have a thumbnail estimate of how long it could take him, whether it's two months or six months, but I don't think it would be any longer than that to have have enough enriched material for a nuclear device. You're much of an expert as it relates to the Iraqi Christian community, and it looks like they are just about to totally disappear. Is this continuing on, or have they passed the point of no return and almost wiped out every Christian in Iraq? Well, I don't think they've reached the point of no return, but they've certainly uh, dwindled down from about 1.5 million in 2003, at the beginning of the Second Gulf War, to roughly 250,000 today. You know, you and I have talked about this. Uh, I was in Iraq uh, last fall uh, in Mosul, and it's just tragic to watch the decimation of this community, the religious side of Christians in Iraq. There are people and communities and organizations working very hard to anchor the Christians in Iraq, but uh, it's difficult. Families see no economic future. They're, they're worried about a resurgence of ISIS, and when they get the opportunity to flee, they leave. So it's very, very difficult to, to um, anchor Christians in Iraq, and even the, um, the Christian leaders, such as uh, Bishop Bashar Warda, uh, who was in uh, Britain recently warning about this, even they are, are throwing their hands up in despair. Yeah, and uh, we need to keep a focus on that and pray for those people in that part of the world with that situation. Well, let's uh, conclude our conversation talking about Russia. For two years, they've been looking at whether Donald Trump colluded with the Russians and the U.S. elections. Now the European Union has some elections coming up. What do you think Russians' plans for the European Union elections, same as the United States? Well, first of all, you know, the Russians really were pretty ham-handed at their attempts to interfere with our elections in 2016. They bought a bunch of Facebook ads, about $100,000 worth of Facebook ads, most of which ran after the election was over. I mean, it was pretty pathetic. Um, the, um, uh, their efforts in, in Europe, in Western Europe, are mainly to... Uh, um, how shall I say, to feed current allies and to recruit new allies. This is nothing new. The Russians have been doing this for 70 years. They did it when it was called the Soviet Union, and they're doing it today. During the Soviet era, they could rely on on communist parties and and other leftist parties in Europe. Today, they find a a mix of extreme right-wing parties and extreme left-wing parties, and sometimes just the useful idiots in between. So the Russians are, are uh, kind of buying votes, if you wish. Uh, their goal here is to keep the European Parliament uh, off their backs, to get the sanctions on that, that are hitting the Russian economy dropped by the European Parliament. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's what they're after, and it's not a new game. It's something that they've been doing for decades. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Not a new game, something they've been doing for decades. Well, that's why we bring to this broadcast table Ken Timmerman, because he gives us information you're not going to get anyplace else, background details about what is going on geopolitically in our world, and he does it from his vantage point there in France for a couple of weeks, and we'll continue to talk with him from that location. Hey, Ken, thanks for a great report. Have a great time there in France, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jamaica. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's a Middle East news update. 
David Dolan has it. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're going to take off next week. We're going to be going up into Indiana, then into Milwaukee area. We're going to be speaking at a Spanish church up there in Milwaukee, and then around Wisconsin up into North Dakota, uh, the area of Michigan, the Mitt up there, you know, the Northern Peninsula. We're going to have a a long two-month period of time of meetings almost every night. So I'm just trying to alert the people up there. We're coming your way looking forward to being able to do that. Well, David Dolan, I promised you, would come here with his Middle East News update. He's Mike's side right now. And David, talk to me about the Palestinians. It seems like uh, they are making moves, and every time they do it, they seem to be stepping on their own foot because they're not doing what should be done. They've rejected the U.S. Economic Peace Summit that's going to be held there in Bahrain, President Trump sending out his team is the first step in the peace process, the the deal of a century, as they refer to it. What's wrong with the Palestinians? Are they so mad with Trump that they don't want even to see how economically it would be good for them? Well, Jimmy, first off, in terms of the Gaza Strip, where the violence has been centered, of course, that's ruled by Hamas, the militant Islamic resistance movement founded in 1988, and uh, controlling that uh, associated with Islamic Jihad that is a puppet of Iran. 
And we have every indication that we're going to have a major war in the region between Iran and the United States, and Israel will be involved. We've talked about that for months. And so why should Hamas get off of their uh, war path against Israel? And also, of course, they reject the peace process entirely. They rejected the Oslo Accords. So they weren't even possibly going to be a serious party to this upcoming peace plan. And, of course, the more moderate Palestinian Authority, relatively more moderate, a little less Islamic, a little less extremist, has also totally rejected this as just an economic blob being sent their way that they don't want, that uh, they want a state in Judea and Samaria, as they've been saying all along with Jerusalem's capital, and that is not going to be included in this plan. And, Jimmy, on Friday we had more rioting in the Gaza Strip, 3,000-plus uh, rioters. Hamas officials were spotted amongst the rioters throwing uh, rocks and hand grenades at Israeli soldiers along the border. There was, again, attempts to breach the border fence. A young Palestinian medic was uh, seriously wounded in uh, Khan Yunus, where there was rioting in the south of the Gaza Strip, uh, an IDF gas grenade uh, uh, hit his area, according to reports. And earlier, Hamas had said that if anyone was killed, they'd go back to full rocket attacks in this. So there's no peace plan even there, uh, despite uh, the reports earlier in the week that uh, an informal peace had been arranged by Egypt between Israel and the Palestinians. No evidence of that. And again, continuing statements from PA leaders, from all the others, that they reject this uh, upcoming peace deal. It's just not going to go anywhere as far as the Palestinians are concerned. And Probably the best indication of that this week from the PA was their announcement that they would not participate in this conference next month that is to bring together all of these parties to this peace plan, especially the Gulf states and other Arab countries. They said they wouldn't even send a representative to it. So they just reject this process entirely, and certainly they dislike strongly President Trump, to put it mildly. <laughs> to put it mildly. That is understatement if I've ever heard it. Well, an interesting thought. Uh, you mentioned Egypt just a moment ago. A former name of the past, Hosni Mubarak. He was president of Egypt for 30 years, finally was brought down by the Arab Spring. But he's speaking out now, and he's saying that this deal of the century, the peace plan with the Israelis and the Palestinians, is only going to lead to a major explosion in the Middle East. Talk to us about that. Well, Jimmy, I have to agree with him on that, and he's saying that from experience. You may recall that you and I talked about John Kerry's uh, attempts to bring a peaceful solution under uh, Barack Obama when he was uh, Secretary of State. Uh, earlier, Hillary Clinton had tried the same thing. Earlier, President George W. Bush, uh, his uh, Secretary of State, had made a go at it. We all know Bill Clinton made a successful quote-unquote go in 1993. Well, it wasn't successful. The thing fell apart within just a few years, Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated, and I've just pointed out every time that the United States or other world powers try to get into this, try to push a solution, it just boils over into violence, because the Palestinians are simply not, nor will they ever be ready to concede Jerusalem to the Jews, to the Israelis. And the attempts to make it happen raise tensions, raise expectations, those are not met, and the violence escalates. This has been the pattern every time, and we can expect the next few weeks to be very raucous. Of course, it's been that way the last year, really, with these weekly 
protest, but next Friday, Jimmy, is the end of Ramadan. That's usually a time of excess trouble. The Israelis will be on full alert in Jerusalem. They're closing a lot of things down, as we discussed last week, including the Temple Mount to any Jews, uh, because of the Ramadan end. And so we're in the season of conflict, traditionally spring when the kings go to war, and we're watching everything closely. But I wouldn't think that there's any chance of peace. Mubarak's right. We're heading to a big bust-up. You know, it's interesting that there are people here basically in the United States and in the Congress who had a briefing from the Secretary of Defense and the Chief of Staff, in other words, uh, the one who is responsible for leading the military operation here in America. They laid all the information out, and some of the Democrats said, well, uh, President Trump's just simply trying to go to war. Now, he's repeatedly said he's not wanting to go to war there in Iran. But then you have the supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khomeini. He comes out and predicts the demise of Israel and the United States. And he says, well, there's some teenagers alive today that'll see this happen. We've read the last chapter in the Word of God. Israel's not going to be destroyed, and the United States not even in Bible prophecy. But Iran continues to ratchet up the rhetoric, do they not? Absolutely, Jimmy. That was a very strong statement from the Supreme Leader, as you said. They said, you should be assured that you will witness the demise of the enemies of humanity, meaning the degenerate American civilization and the demise of Israel. So again, for over 40 years, they've been stating quite clearly that they intend to make war and a war of annihilation against both the United States and Israel. We've heard those statements all along from Jimmy Carter on down. Our leaders have tried to be restrained in their responses, and so far we haven't had a major bust-up between the U.S. and Iran, but we've had the incidents all along going back to the capturing of the Americans at the U.S. Embassy right after the Islamic Revolution. So this is not new. It's just that now Iran has the military capability to at least create havoc, if not annihilation, to at least uh, kill hundreds of thousands of Israelis, if not wipe out the state, to at least uh, down uh, quite a few U.S. ships and airplanes and things in any conflict, and uh, through their allies, as I mentioned last week, Hezbollah, their terror cells around the world, including in the U.S., possibly to strike inside the U.S., maybe with a small nuclear device or something, which could be uh, devastating if it were in New York or D.C. or both. So this, this is a serious situation, Jimmy, and they are going to war. They've said that. Their allies are, are saying that. And the U.S. is sending on Friday, we heard, an, another 2,000 troops. And the president is beefing up forces. But we know Donald Trump to be anti-Mideast war. He's sick and tired of it. He campaigned on that. He did speak out against the Iraq war soon after it started, although not before like he once claimed, but he did soon after and consistently did that all along. So he does not want this conflict, but like I've been saying, I'll repeat it again, takes uh, two parties to make peace. It only takes one to make war. Iran is on the war path, not the U.S., but the U.S. has to respond. And the Democrats better be careful here, because I think there'll be a real backlash against these congressmen and senators that are speaking like this, because we need to be united. This is, this is an enemy that is sworn against us, not the other way around. 
the president has to be responsible here, and Pompeo and, the, and John Bolton. They're not warmongering. They're responding to real threats. And we've heard that from even some of the Democrats who've already seen the evidence that, yes, an attack in Iraq is being planned on our U.S. bases, a major attack. We have to be ready for that. The evidence is there, especially from uh, this Iranian defector who gave us a lot of evidence and information, apparently, as to what they're planning. Yeah, that was key in why the United States military has moved into the region, just to be ready and to be a deterrent, not to start the war. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us, he does it because he has great long-time experience, over 30 years as a journalist in that region of the world, and we always want to bring him to the broadcast table. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back right after the bottom of the hour, Winky Madad will join us. Going to be talking about the problems that the Prime Minister of Israel is having in forming a new Israeli government. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're going into our second half hour. Winky Madad standing by. He is in Jerusalem. And then we're going to be talking with John Rood. He's going to talk about the European Union and update there. And we'll look at world trends, what's happening across this world with Colonel Bob McGinnis from the Pentagon. He works in the area of strategic planning at the Pentagon for the United States military. It's going to be a power-packed half hour. Keep the dial right where it is. And I said we're going to Winky Madad. Normally, we go to the center part of the state of Israel, up to Shiloh, where Winky and his dear family, his wife especially, live together in that unique and historic city for the Jewish people. But today, Winky and his wife are there in Jerusalem at the Menachem Begin Center. That's where Winky worked for a number of years. He's now an associate connected with the center. It's like a presidential library, and they're going to be taking off on their way to the Ukraine. Winky, you're going to the Ukraine. What's the purpose for the trip? Well, Jimmy, a couple of years ago, uh, the Begin Center, which usually has an annual employees' activity, usually over a weekend, decided uh, to do it a little bit more deeper. You know, as the years go on and younger people are employed at the center, they manage to lose a lot of background information that they really don't get from the books. 
And so we went out to Warsaw, a town called Brisk in Belarus, and Vilna in Lithuania in the footsteps of Menachem Begin. Begin had been born in Brisk, and uh, he fled to Vilna in the beginning of World War II. He went to Warsaw University, and so we did a five-day seminar in his footsteps. And uh, this one coming up is the great Zionist leader, Zev Vladimir Jabotinsky, who was born in Odessa and uh, will be there in Odessa. But first in Kiev, uh, we'll be doing some studying of early Zionist politics before the communist regime came in to rule there. A lot of the early Zionist activities, uh, even including promoting the uh, Aliyah or emigrating to the land of Israel from the 1880s on, centered in those areas of the Ukraine. Well, and this is not the topic of my discussion with you today, but tell us a bit, a brief history of Jabotinsky and what he means to the Jewish world today. Jabotinsky was born in 1880. He became a journalist at a very young age. He went to Rome for three years to study, and then he became involved in the Zionist movement, especially after the 1903 Kishnev pogrom. And in World War I, he founded the Jewish Legion. He broke away from Chaim Weizmann, who he viewed as a little bit too moderate, and set up something called the Revisionist Zionist Movement, founded a youth movement named Betar, where a lot of today's Likud ideological roots are to be found. And he died in the United States, actually, in 1940. He was only allowed by Ben-Gurion to be reburied in the land of Israel in 1964. Um, Ben-Gurion was a great rival of his, and so he wasn't happy about it. It was only Levi Eshkol who eventually gave permission. And Jabotinsky was an author, journalist, statesman, very larger-than-life type of uh, personality that uh, was active in the early years of the 20th century. And you that are listening to this conversation, Jabotinsky, a very important personality, in the birth of the nation of Israel and in the governing of that particular state today as well. Well, speaking along that subject, the elections took place, national elections, to elect the parties who would then ultimately form a coalition to elect the prime minister back in April. Uh, That was the purpose, right? The first election uh, that the people had uh, was to determine what parties would be a part of the Knesset and then that coalition that's formed out of Knesset members elects the prime minister. Just refresh that for the thinking of our people as we discuss this today. Uh, Jimmy, we elect a 120-seat parliament called the Knesset. However, never has any one party gained 61 votes or 61 seats by itself, and therefore it always has to look out uh, for partners, and they have to build a coalition. Over the past few elections, it had both the Labour Party at one point, but most often the Likud, have found it very difficult uh, to put together a coalition because some of the parties, odd as it may seem, the smaller they are, the more power they think they have because they would prevent the government from reaching that magic number of 61. So we have the Lieberman party of basically Russian, former Russian, who is very demanding of a mobilization law 
that would bring more of the ultra-Orthodox into the army. Uh, we have some religious parties who want more religion on the scene, and it becomes very difficult for Mr. Netanyahu to form the government, and usually goes down to the wire. He may ask for a second extension, which would be actually, I think, the first time that has happened, but also he's threatening that if they don't come into line, he's more than willing to go to elections again. First of all, that would be an awful waste of money. Uh, and it probably wouldn't bring these smaller parties any more seats, because a lot of people would get very upset at them. But we'll see how it works out and over the next uh, week and a half or so. I thought that uh, Netanyahu was quite the manager in making these things happening, like herding a, a whole herd of cats together to try to get them to do one thing. Uh, but he's not doing too well. Is it basically because just one of two of the leaders of these political parties are being the thorn in the flesh? In a sense, yes. I think that there's a general wisdom here in Israel that, first of all, why make an agreement before the time is up? Yeah, uh, A lot of people think, well, make an agreement, and you have more time to put the agreement into power. But uh, not in Israel, it works the opposite way. <laughs> uh, you know, if you have 48 hours, you make the agreement at 47 hours and 57 minutes or yeah, something like that. Right. And second thing is that there is a problem in Israeli political system where the smaller parties really think that they deserve more than the people in a democratic representative vote has given them. It's legitimate, but too many people, uh, at least those that I've been speaking with, are saying enough is enough, you've made your point, now let's get down to business and form the government. One wants this ministry, and the other one wants this ministry, and you know, this policy. Uh, I think the Israeli electorate is really not interested in too much of this, and they want the government to get formed. How many parties is the prime minister trying to work together to form the coalition? If I'm not mistaken, it's up to about five or six now. We've got Kulanu, we've got the ultra-Orthodox Torah Front, we have the United Religious Parties, uh, we have something called Kulanu, and we have the Lieberman Party, and we could together. So uh, it's about probably about a half a dozen now. Mm. Well, what seems to be the sticking point? Is it personality or politics, or both? Oh, it's definitely personality. Uh, but politics plays very little anymore, because we've heard these stories before from, uh, especially, for example, Mr. Lieberman, who threatened, or I should say promised, his voting electorate that he would have the death penalty legislated, which wasn't done when he was in the government. He promised a harsher policy towards Hamas. He was in the government. It didn't happen. Whether it was his fault or not, or Mr. Netanyahu's, the, the, the difference is, is that we've been there or here before, and it's not making too much of a difference. Well, bottom line, is uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu going to be able to form it or not? What are your thoughts? He'll be able to. I don't know, again, how much he's going to be forced to give in. Remember, we've got all sorts of jobs, committee heads, ministries. There are government institutions or companies that can be handed out. It happens all over the world. And uh, here in Israel, we've got it also. We'll see what he can come up with. Well, all of this is going on, the formation of a Israeli government, the Knesset voting on Prime Minister Netanyahu to be again the Prime Minister, his fifth historical term. 
Uh, but Israel's still strong, and the enemies better pay attention to the fact you don't mess with Israel even at this time, do you? I would uh, think so. We have two things on the horizon. We've got the tension with Iran, which the United States has been very, very upfront and uh, straightforward on pressing Iran back. We had some problems and tension in the Gulf, and we still have things. And I think uh, Israel and the United States are talking uh, on the same wavelength on this issue. And we have, of course, the, I think they're calling it now, the economic seminar coming up in Bahrain, which is trying to offer the Palestinian National Authority a different route to peace, which I don't think they're taking up, which will probably mean, once again, Jimmy, we'll be discussing them losing another opportunity uh, to, to lose an opportunity. And it's unfortunate, but these also are two major issues which Israel is facing uh, in, the, in the coming months or so. I remember when you and I would talk when the late Yasser Arafat was still alive. We used that terminology. Yasser Arafat never failed to make and take the opportunity of failing. So that is probably going to be the case as well. Well, we'll stay on top of it with Winky Madad, whatever the government does. The Israeli government key in that region of the world and, of course, key to Bible prophecy as well. Winky, thank you so much for taking the moments to talk with us, giving us some clarification here. We'll talk again real soon. Jimmy, thank you for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Winky Madad with a very important report about the formation of the Israeli government under Benjamin Netanyahu. Will it happen? He's got a couple of days, and uh, we'll see how it all works out. We're going to focus on additional elections taking place in the European Union. We'll do that with the man who covers that region of the world, John Rood. He's been there, lived in Brussels, headquarters for the European Union a long time. And we'll get to the elections as it relates to the European Union. But uh, I guess the headline from Friday would have to be that the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, is going to step down, and she'll do that in June. She'll work as a caretaker prime minister into sometime in July. But Brexit finally brought her down, didn't it, John? Yes, Jimmy. It's The time has been accelerating now for Brexit and uh, just couldn't stand anymore under the circumstances. And that's the timetable. So Theresa May, the prime minister, has formally announced she's stepping down as leader of the Conservative Party in June 7th. And then they will plan to have a new prime minister, most likely by the end of July. The reason she was staying was because she felt it was her duty to get the Brexit deal through Parliament. Now, after already being voted down three times, trying to get another time, uh, it's pretty clear the withdrawal agreement is not going to happen under the current circumstances. So that left her in indefinitely. But now... That time is up, and so we can expect now uh, leaders with a respect for the Democratic Brexit vote to step in. And so we've seen even the new Brexit party is already listed as the number one uh, vote taker for the European uh, Parliament elections coming up. Uh, John, who's heading up that uh, Brexit party? Brexit party, it was started just, I think, in the last two months. And they already have 20% vote of the representation uh, by Nigel Farage. And so Nigel Farage has always been a parliament member, 
uh, a bit out of sync in a good sense with the European Parliament, and they probably wish he would just go away there in Brussels. Now they've created, through all this long process that we've covered, they've created this process now where the United Kingdom is going to vote in the elections when they're scheduled to leave. So now instead of dealing with one Nigel, it's possible they'll have to deal with 20. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. Hey, what about Russia? Are they trying to sway the European Union elections? What do we know about that? This is an interesting topic. There's a sort of mudslinging going around on all sides here. And, of course, the European Union, they want to find, you know, what the problem is. And the Russian media, is, basically what it comes down to is they're amplifying the voice of the dissenting nationalistic parties, that uh, the Eurosceptic parties. But the European Union wants to blame Russia that they're the cause of this. But no, they're, are they taking advantage of the situation? Well, certainly they are, but they're not creating it. They're, already, they're simply amplifying the presence that's already there. So this is an existential crisis after these elections. Just no telling what type of new dimensions we're going to see from the EU. Some aspects could deteriorate very fast. And then on the other side, we should probably see some type of contingency plans where the European Union is going to come in a defensive mode and, as we frequently mention, go towards a political union. That's how they will survive. Often, John, we look at the relationship between Israel and the European Union with the elections coming up. Israel's going to be focused on what does come about after the polls there in the European Union. Uh, but talk to me, why is Israel looking at the European Union with distrust? What do you think is going on? Well, they really should examine the EU with distrust, just as the people of Europe in this upcoming vote were going to see the level of distrust. And there's very similar reasons here. But Europe dealing uh, with Israel, you know, Israel perceives Europe as a source of anti-Semitism. They see how Europe uh, has separated them as uh, human rights violators, so to speak. And as uh, they see Europe as hypocritical, they do not trust the European institutions just like anybody else. So um, they've tried with the song contest, etc. But in these elections, uh, Israel is taking a very uh, pragmatic approach, and they understand that nothing has changed coming from EU hierarchy. Hey, talk to me. Here's a subject we often broach. That is a European Union army. Is that possible? I mean, we keep moving towards that. Any further information that you can pass along to us? I love to speak on the European army topic. Uh, sometimes in seminars, I'll take a whole hour to, to deal with EU army. Uh, the very bottom line, the very takeaway on this is that all this talk of the EU army is always on the border. It's always on the edge it would necessitate overriding NATO, and Europe likes that NATO is there, but they want to have some more autonomous uh, possibilities. But 22 of the 28 EU members are NATO. And so what it, this really comes down to is that the talk of an EU army is simply for political reasons. And, of course, you can't have an army just for politics and not in the strict functioning sense where countries are cooperating. The euro currency 
it is not as so much an economic currency as it's a political currency. Mm-hmm. And then the EU army is the same thing. You're looking more that it's a political army. Well, this type of thing could never uh, succeed in history, so they need a political center. This is why we keep seeing this trend towards the political core that will unify in Europe. This is what they need to survive. So with a political center, this is the type of thing that occurred during the Roman Empire, and they would need a political center today to make an EU army feasible. Otherwise, it's just going to be superfluous, and it's just going to be something on top of NATO. So can they pull that off? They can't really pull it off until there's a political core of nations, and we do believe that that eventually is a set of ten nations. Yes, and the revived Roman Empire. We talk politics, but then we go to prophecy pretty quickly, and I do that with John Rood right here as he covers the European Union on Prophecy Today. John, good report. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you, Jimmy. Very important report on the European Union, an update from... John Rood, living there in Brussels for over 30 years, knows the lay of the land and is always key to our understanding of that key region. Well, there's another man who knows, the, in fact, the entire region of the world. He works at the Pentagon for his day job, responsible for helping in the area of strategic planning. We're talking about Colonel Bob McGinnis, longtime broadcast partner with us here. Bob, you send me almost on a daily basis. I would imagine it goes out to others as well. Your thoughts and thinking about what is going on. And I've been reading every day how you're talking about the saber rattling that's going on in the Middle East between Iran and the United States. Seems to be ratcheted up to a high degree, doesn't it? Well, it does, Jimmy. Uh, Of course, this is a byproduct of the sanctions that the uh, Trump administration put on uh, Iran after the sales and the U.S. withdrew from the nuclear agreement of 2015. It, that was last May. And uh, as a result, uh, we've not only put sanctions on, on them, but we've also gone after countries that buy oil from Iran and have threatened them. So it really is putting a financial pinch on uh, the regime in Tehran. And as a result, they've gone after ships, they've gone after pipelines, and they, of course, it appears as if they threaten the U.S. infrastructure and U.S. troops in the region. Bob, answer this question. I, I know you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but is what you're seeing happening and unfolding there in the Middle East really a foregone conclusion that war is coming and possibly very soon? Well, I know that both Rouhani, the president of Iran, and the Ayatollah, as well as President Trump, have all said that war uh, is something they want to avoid. Uh, confrontation with Iran has been going on for over 40 years uh, post you know, the Iranian Revolution of 1979. So it's not surprising that tensions wax and wane. Uh, inevitably, if the regime goes after nuclear weapons, as Prime Minister Netanyahu made clear years plus ago, Uh, then there's a good chance that something will happen. What it will be is hard to know. Uh, Certainly, I don't think anybody, much less the military, wants another war in the Middle East. Uh, But but as I've indicated in some of my writing, things happen by chance or by design, depending upon your 
prophetic perspective. And the fact is that uh, the Tsar and the Kaiser in that 1914 uh, both, you know, stood up military forces as a message to their adversaries, and very, very quickly the world fell into a war that cost many millions of lives. I think that's something we need to be cautious about. Uh, we need to avoid war, uh, but, you know, it takes two to tango, and in this case, uh, if we can't find some sort of modicum of you know, reason to compel the regime in Tehran to back down on its terrorism, on its nuclear capabilities and the like, inevitably that might lead to conflict. Well, then that begs the question, is America actually sending the right messages from the White House and from the military there at the Pentagon? Well, it's certainly different than the last administration, which, of course, gave them $100-plus billion as repayment for agreeing to the nuclear deal. This administration is being tough with them economically as well as militarily. And it's a matter of uh, what do the people in Tehran intend to do? Do they intend to uh, continue to provoke uh, meddle in affairs of their neighbors? Are they going to block the trade of Hormuz? Are they going to go after American interests? These are all critical issues. And I think the initiative is up to them, but at the same time, the Trump administration is pushing back and posturing its forces in that region just in case there's a misstep. Well, and I know that you work uh, your day job in strategic planning. Now, my question would be, as you look at the overall big picture, I mean everybody included, is Iran a minor league player, or should we really look at the major league players, Russia and China, in this situation? The U.S. strategy and the national security strategy is called 2 plus 3. The 2 represent Russia and China. The 3 represent Iran, North Korea, and violent extremist organizations like al-Qaeda. That's what we're dealing with. Uh, the priority, of course, is going after Russia and China and being prepared for and the inevitable, perhaps, you know, conflict with them, as uh, we've seen in Europe and we've seen in especially the South China Sea. Both North Korea and Iran are credible threats that we have to be concerned about. Yes, that is an absolute. And when we think about Russia and China, I know you're talking about a Cold War that's going on in some of your writings, the books that you have been published across uh, the entire world for people to read. What about Russia and China? Are they basically dictating the future militarily with uh, both their surrogates, maybe, North Korea and Iran? Well, certainly they uh, spawn proxy wars, as we've seen in, you know, in Syria. We've seen throughout Southeast Asia, uh, Venezuela, and argue, Ukraine. And they are in an arms race. Uh, they are very much in an economic contest with the United States, in a psychological contest. They're spying left and right. Their ceiling is blind through cyber efforts. So uh, I consider them very much enemies, and I do consider what we're in now a Cold War, uh, different than the old Cold War, but one that's very real and very dangerous. I know that uh, there has been briefings given to the United States Congress from there at the Pentagon, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and even the Secretary of Defense. 
Looks like it's divided Democrats and Republicans. Republicans say it's a viable threat. And uh, Democrats saying, wait a minute, President Trump is just trying to take us to war. Which uh, probably would be the correct evaluation of what was said by the military leadership. Well, we certainly face some very credible threats. And and that's not something that uh, is, is spent. Uh, it's a very serious threat that we have to uh, be prepared to engage in, uh, in all domains. And it's something that uh, the president recognizes in his national defense strategy that we have to prepare our forces to, to meet. We're going to stay on top of this story. Of course we will, because it's key to Bible prophecy and what God's Word calls for in the future as well. We do that with Colonel Bob McGinnis, who has a day job at the Pentagon, travels, does television appearances with Fox News and other networks, and writes many, many books. What's the latest one, Bob, and tell us where we could get it. Well, I have a new one coming up, uh, Jimmy, uh, Progressive Evil, which comes out uh, next month in June, uh, and it's about uh, you know the, the dozens of progressives that are seeking the presidency and, and how much damage and evil and you know, terrible things they've done over the centuries of the life of this country. We'll be looking for that book, and we'll get you online again with us to discuss that book when it is published. Bob, thank you so very much. Appreciate what you do to help us be informed of what's happening in our world. Well, thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have an opportunity to talk with David James about some activities you need to know about the Equality Act in the House of Representatives and the United States Senate. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to the last half hour of Prophecy Today. We ask for 90 minutes. If you give us this half hour, you'll make up the time we wanted to use with you to give the reports from our broadcast partners, helping you to understand how current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I have one more conversation with my broadcast partners, and that's with David James. He's standing by. We'll get to him in a moment. But let me talk to you about my poll question. It's located on my home page on the left-hand column. If you'll scroll down, you'll find the poll question. Here it is. Please answer it. Let us know what you're thinking. Here's the question. The reports from my broadcast partners today on Prophecy Today weekend gave us details that made clear the prophetic passages of God's Word are close to being fulfilled. Remember that the rapture comes first. Therefore, do you believe that the rapture could happen today? Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and answer our poll question. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I have our weekly conversation focused on an issue that is very important for the body of Christ to understand from a biblical perspective. We're going to be looking at the Equality Act that is now in front of the House of Representatives, ultimately to go to the Senate there in the United States Congress. 
Well, David, uh, once again, before we get to our subject, let me say we just catch you after you finished up your latest ministry there in upstate New York at Word of Life Bible Institute. How did that go, David? Oh, it was great. Had a great group of students. This was their last week of classes, and so, you know, you kind of have a challenge to keep things moving, keep things upbeat, keep things exciting. But the fact is, the course was Understanding Roman Catholicism, and it was kind of a great cap to the two years for these second-year students, because they all have Catholic friends and family and acquaintances, and they've been out on ministry and been challenged with questions. So uh, it was really a great week. It is a very needed class that should be taught to each and every born-again Bible-believing Christian. Probably the greatest evangelism field in the world would be the Catholic Church coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, this week it came to our attention, David, that a bill is now making its way through the Congress that has some concerned Christians very much upset about what's going on because of its potential impact on believers and ministries across this country. Give us some information here. Sure. Well, you're exactly right. The Equality Act is a bill that was first introduced to the House of Representatives in March, and actually it was passed last Friday in the House, and it's now on its way to the Senate for consideration. And this bill would amend the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and it would include a prohibition of discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity when it comes to employment, housing, public accommodations, which would mean like hotels and restaurants and different things that offer goods and services to the public, public education, federal funding, credit, the jury system in the United States. And actually, I've read the bill, which is called H.R. 5, and it seems that the primary amendment to the Civil Rights Act would be the insertion of the phrase sexual orientation and gender identity before it mentions national origin as something that cannot be the basis for discrimination in the original legislation. Now, there are still 30 states that haven't outlawed LGBT discrimination, and there isn't much protection at the national level. And so there's a lot of pressure on congressional legislators by the LGBT community and other human rights activists to remedy this situation. I'm not saying this is a good thing at all. I'm just saying that's the situation. Now, although Donald Trump has indicated that he's in favor of such anti-discrimination laws as far back as 2000, he's since clarified his position as president and that he opposes the Equality Act as long as it contains what he has called poison pills. And according to Scopos Labs, which is a, a group that does predictive analyses of these kinds of things, bills going through the Congress, for example, they say it only has about a 23% chance of passing in the Republican majority Senate, and actually that's a good thing for several reasons that we'll be discussing today. Well, let me just remind everybody, this is a prophecy program, not a political program. How be it? Politics sets the stage for prophecy to be fulfilled. And when you look at some of these laws that our Congress is discussing and getting ready to either vote in favor of or vote against, there may be a biblical element that we need to talk about. And that's why we're having this discussion today. David, you sent me an article from the Christian Headlines website entitled, Four Things That Christians Should Know About the Equality Act. So I would like to take a moment here and let's go through these issues 
The first one that I remember was the author notes that this bill, it endangers the church. How so? Well, if the author of the article has understood it correctly, and like I said, I've read it as well, the conclusion would be that the churches at some point in the future won't be able to hire or refuse to hire someone based on their beliefs. So under the section related to construction, for example, and access to facilities, that also relates to this issue. The, the bill contains the phrase, an individual shall not be denied access to a shared facility, including a restroom or a locker room and a, and a dressing room that is in accordance with the individual's gender identity. So this means that there couldn't be not only issues related to employment, but there couldn't be strict segregation based on biological sex for public restrooms and locker rooms in churches or Christian educational institutions. And then Regarding employment, the amendment says this, that in a situation in which sex is a bona fide occupational qualification, individuals are recognized as qualified in accordance with their gender identity, and that would be opposed to their biological sex. So this raises a question connected not only to pastors, but also to those who are employed by ministries as Bible teachers, and if it's the conviction of such ministries that only men should teach the Bible and theology, whether they be Bible institutes or colleges or seminaries or parachurch organizations or, or mission organizations, for example, then the legal noose is clearly tightening in this country. Now, the, a group called the Alliance for Defending Freedom has said that the Equality Act is also set to repeal the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993, which was passed under Clinton. This means that people will no longer be able to use religious free exercise as a defense for their actions. Mm. So I think it remains to be seen how much protection will be afforded by the separation clause in the First Amendment. Well, just with this first article that you've just talked to us about, the four things Christians should know about the Equality Act, looks like it could very well be dangerous. The second point in the article focuses on what is said to be an elevation of those in the LGBT community over people of faith, saying that it encourages the suppression of religious freedom, which is what you were just talking about. Does this seem, David, to be like a legitimate concern? It absolutely does. If enacted, the Equality Act will prevent religious people from denying a service, employment, housing, or public accommodations, among other things, to LGBT persons, despite the fact the homosexuality would uh, might contradict their religious beliefs. So our listeners f will remember the Masterpiece Cake Shop case a few years ago, and the owner, Jack Phillips, was eventually deemed to have acted within his First Amendment right of freedom of religion when he declined to make a wedding cake for an LGBT couple. Now it seems fairly certain that the Equality Act would have resulted, if it had been in place at the time, it would have resulted in a lawsuit against Phillips succeeding in finding him guilty of discrimination. And then going back to the Alliance Defending Freedom Group, they've said that the Equality Act essentially gives people of faith an ultimatum, either change your faith-based practices or face government punishment. 
And Sarah Kramer of the Alliance for Defending Freedom said this, this would prohibit employers, individuals who rent out apartments in their homes, preschools, and even religious schools and organizations from making choices based on basic biology, bodily privacy, and their beliefs about the nature of marriage. Now, if you put these two things together, you think about an organization even like yours, Jimmy, uh, that takes trips to Israel, that could be considered a service or a public accommodation where you're taking groups, and then it raises serious questions about what you might be forced if somebody tries to put you or other organizations like that to the test. So we need to make sure that our organizations have things in their bylaws or statements of faith and things like that to at least try to gain First Amendment protection, but it looks like maybe even that is going out the window. You know, the article also argues that the Equality Act will obliterate women's rights because it expands on the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to include sexual orientation and gender identity. How might this affect women negatively, David? Well, this is really an ironic issue because while the LGBT community might be celebrating and hope for passage of the Equality Act, Feminists across the spectrum are speaking out against it. So, for example, if gender identity becomes a covered category under the Civil Rights Act, then this effectively eliminates all legal protection against discrimination based on biological sex. And so, as I mentioned earlier, the Equality Act would amend dozens of sections in the Civil Rights Act and add including sexual orientation and gender identity in every place where the category of sex, meaning biological sex, is protected. That means that scholarships for women, grants for women, business loans, and all this, this would basically undo all of those protections, including Title IX protection in women's sports at the college level. And so now you have biological males competing against biological females in high school and college, and this will undoubtedly move to professional sports. Guys are winning races, wrestling matches, and breaking women's weightlifting record just because they are saying, for the purpose of this, I'm a woman. This is horrible, horrible uh, activity that's happening. Well, we've talked of three of the concerns that this article that David and I read have given each and every one of us, especially us in the body of Christ. The fourth concern raised in the article is about how this bill will actually intrude into the family life and have a profound impact on the kids. How so? That's right. Well, this is potentially the most insidious and evil of all the problems. Not only will it allow male students to enter female restrooms, it will also hinder parents' authority over their children. It has the potential to create conflicts with parents and doctors and government because of interfering with medical decisions that parents would normally make for their children. So this could actually force doctors to provide hormone therapy and even surgery for, for example, a boy who decides he wants to become a girl and, and parents can have no say in the matter. And in fact, in Ohio, there were parents who had their parental rights taken away because they refused to go along with hormone uh, therapy for their teenage child. So a doctor could, who refuses this could also be facing legal challenges even to his medical practice. You know, David, I'm really concerned. Oh, boy, I mean, I'm so glad you pointed out this article to me. And we decided to discuss it here on the broadcast. Great significance as it may bring harm to the body of Christ, not only in the church, but in the family, the homes as well. Well, as we wrap it up for this week, David, 
Would you say there are some positive things coming from the other side of the culture wars to protect and to preserve biblical values? There are a few. As we talked about last week, the movement leading to abortion bills across the nation, that's really gaining a full head of steam. Back at the beginning of this month, President Trump spoke out on the National Day of Prayer concerning religious freedom, and so the president is trying to do some things. He has some evangelical advisors. The president said every American has the absolute right to live according to the teachings of their faith. But the bottom line is this, Jimmy. Our hope is not in any politician or the political system. And we're hopes in the Lord, Amen. and as believers, we pray, we rely on Him, and we are wise in the precautions we take to protect ourselves and our ministries in a wicked world. Our hope is in the Lord. That's the bottom line, folks. David, thank you so much for paying attention to the media, finding issues that we need to discuss together right here on Prophecy Today. And I so appreciate your research and all the work that you do to make this happen. By the way, drive safely on your way back home to Indiana from up there in upstate New York. Glad you had a a great time up there. And we'll get together next week for another very important conversation. I'll look forward to it. Thanks, Jimmy. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, I'm going to open the Bible. We're going to take a look at the book and see how all the issues that we discuss today with our broadcast partners affect what God's plan is for the future and giving us an urgency for that moment. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. 
On Prophecy Today weekend, our broadcast partners all came to the broadcast table prepared and with detailed reports on the region of this world, which they have a responsibility to keep us informed on current events happening where they are located. This is an important service that we offer here on Prophecy Today, especially for those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. But these reports are key for those who are looking at the political activities around the world and realizing that these political activities are setting the stage for the prophetic scenarios to be fulfilled, those that are found in God's Word. My conversations with the broadcast partners must be heard by as many as we can get the interviews to for their listening. By the way, you can help us do that. You can get this information out. All you need to do is copy and paste the location or the link that you can find when you go to my website. Send it to your friends and family. These reports are key for them to understand what our broadcast partners are talking about. To get these links, go to prophecytoday.com, P-T-R-N, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and then you can copy and paste the link, pass these reports along to the ones who need to hear and understand the urgency of the moment, how these current events are really setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Let me take a moment and remind you of what each of my broadcast partners reported. Ken Timmerman, he is in France, and he talked about the rocket attack on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Now, they don't know absolutely that it was Iran, but it had the signature of Iran. We know that Iran is going to be a major player in the end times. They're listed in a group of nations found in Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. These nations forming a coalition to wipe Israel off the face of the earth And since the United States is key to the defense of the Jewish nation of Israel, you have to recognize that Iran wants to go after both the big Satan, the United States, and the little Satan, the state of Israel. Ken's report key to understanding what's happening today in the Middle East region. David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update David spoke to us about the Palestinians who have rejected President Trump's deal of the century on the peace process for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. This would be very helpful for the Palestinians. It's going to be an economic summit that will take place in Bahrain. Well, the Bible does talk about peace, a temporary pseudo-peace that will come to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and that is when the Antichrist comes on the scene. That's Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. The Antichrist will confirm a peace agreement, a temporary pseudo-peace agreement, That basically comes out of the agreements already signed between Israel and Egypt, Israel and the Palestinians, and Israel and the state of Jordan. We need to understand how that is progressing so that we can recognize the time when the Antichrist will show up 
to confirm, not sign, but confirm a peace agreement. Winky Madai talked about the problems that the Prime Minister of Israel is having as he's trying to form an Israeli government. You know, God uses government, especially the Jewish government in Israel, to really put everybody in place so that God's plan, God's will, can be fulfilled. That's the book of Revelation, chapter 17 and verse 17. Winky Madad, helping us to understand how important the Israeli government coming together is going to be for the near future and the long term as well. You don't want to miss Winky Madad's report. John Rood talked to us about a debate going on in the European Union. Do they need a military operation, a European Union army? That means they would have to set aside NATO. But if you're going to see the revived Roman Empire come out of what I believe is the infrastructure today, you have to realize that as the Roman army had, the European Union must have a military operation as well. Colonel Bob McGinnis from the Pentagon helped us to look at Russia and China and their influence on Iran actually pushing Iran towards a war with the United States. We know Iran, Russia, and China are all in Bible prophecy. However, the United States not in the prophetic passages of God's Word. This may be the way will eliminate the United States before he concludes his end-time scenario for the entire world. These were all key reports from our broadcast partners. And if you'll stop and think just for a moment, you'll realize what you've heard today on the broadcast is almost like reading from the prophetic passages of God's Word. Let me take a moment just before we conclude now to rehearse what our broadcast partners had to say and the prophetic passages that go along with their commentary. Ken talked about Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and that's Revelation chapter 18. Dave Dolan talked about peace and the peace that Donald Trump is trying to introduce to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Remember the Antichrist does that, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. And then Winky was giving us the details on how the prime minister is trying to form a government which is key. God puts his plan in place by human government. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17. John talked to us about Daniel, the revived Roman Empire. That's chapter 7 verses 7 and 8 and verses 23 and 24. And Bob McGinnis talked about Russia, Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 2, and China, kings of the east, Revelation chapter 16, and verse 12. This is tangible evidence that the rapture is about to happen. And in fact, it could happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.